You know what I love about Croatian fans? The water polo caps. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, I think, objectively, a, just a bad look on anybody. <laughs> Unless you're standing in a pool and you're a chiseled rock of water polo athleticism, it's just a dumb look. Now, yes, it is also very meaningful to Croatia because... Uh, their water polo team is yeah, which is kind of just sorry, it, it just intercept there. I mean, analyzing hatware is about as third place playoff a kind of analysis as I think I've ever heard. Carry on. From Apple News and Meadowlark Media, I'm Brendan Hunt, and I'm Rebecca Lowe, and this is After the Whistle. Reminder: There will be adult fucking language. <laughs> Quite a lot of it today, I'm not going to lie. On today's episode, we cover, albeit briefly, the third place match between Morocco and Croatia before we look ahead to the biggest event in sport, the World Cup final. We'll also answer some lovely questions from our lovely listeners. It's almost here, the World Cup final. I can't wait! Hi, Rebecca. Hello. It's third place game day. Oh, and doesn't everyone love a third place game day? Oh my gosh, it's um, <laughs> it's a harbinger of uh, you know final day. In my opinion, it is a wonderful quirk of the World Cup. And I've gone back and forth on this over the years. Let me know where you're at. But on the one hand, it's like, why the fuck these people just lost the semifinal and then you make them play another game when they would rather be going home? But I've really gotten to the point of like, you know what? I fucking love the third place game. Why? Give me, give me one extra <laughs> low stakes, medium intensity. Everyone's shaking hands, old-time hockey, Gordie Howe and Soda Pops, third-place game that is, you know, meaningful. The smaller the country, the more meaningful it is, but the bigger the country, the bigger the event, so you kind of can't go wrong. Have I watched all 90 minutes of a third-place game ever before today? No, but I love knowing that those 90 minutes are happening. (laughs) It's so funny. Actually, today's was a little bit more intense, wasn't it, than most third-place play? I mean, like you, very few minutes of a third-place playoff in the history of my life. But from those few minutes that I have witnessed down the years, obviously England was actually a part of it in 2018. That was disappointing, but it was third place, so you very quickly shrug it off. But this one, I think it was because Morocco have just brought so much and they have just, I don't know, their support as well. The atmospheres have not been the best in the stadium at this World Cup. But whenever mm-hmm. Morocco play, it's magic. So I think that helped today, even though they lost. And at the end, they were surrounding the ref like they were Manchester United of 1999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was actual passion there. Yeah. And then, and for the neutral too, like, I mean, we're already behind Morocco so much, but in this game, because neutrals have also been behind Croatia, I would think. But in this game, Croatia, you've been third place. Atlas Lions forever, as of today. (laughs) Had there been a tattoo artist in the pub, I'd have a Morocco tattoo right now. (laughs) But it was not to be. Uh, Wiser heads prevailed. And really, football's the winner. I suppose we should talk through this game a little bit, this incredibly inconsequential, easily forgotten tomorrow. Yeah, when when you say little bit, let's definitely go with that word little, because I just basically (laughs) don't have a huge amount on it, other than when Morocco came close in that 90-something minute. Hmm. I was, dare I say it, a little selfish at that moment. I was actually quite happy didn't go to extra time. Is that fair? I was like, oh, oh, I mean, I kind of want you to score, but I really don't want another half an hour. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah. 
Yeah, when there's no stakes and we go yeah. to extra time, it's like, oh, oh come on. Yeah. No, don't do this. Don't do this. They should actually make third place playoff the only game of the World Cup that goes straight to penalties because really nobody needs the extra half an hour. And I quite like the going straight to penalties thing now that they've incorporated that into, I think, the League Cup in England. So just have that one game. For that one game, there is no extra time because we don't need it. If it's coming up to 80 yeah. minutes, let's play for pens because then it's exciting because it doesn't really matter, but it's still penalties, which are always fun. Yeah, like having it for the League Cup is a real sense of like, hey, third tier tournament, know thyself. You know, the League Cup looking in the mirror and saying, you don't want 30 more minutes of us. You don't want 30 more minutes of us. At least not till Wembley. Come on, just fucking, just take it. Just let's get on with this thing. Uh, so the third place game reflecting that would be a great show of honesty and self-appraisement from FIFA. That would not be characteristic of them, which is why it will never happen. But I love that shout. That's a great call. <laughs> okay. So other than that little shout and that header near the end and the fact that it was actually overall a, not a terrible game, what do you have written down your, on your little notebook there? Well, the first thing I've written down um, is like, you know, it's something we haven't mentioned. <laughs> this is a sign of what an important game it is. Something we haven't mentioned on this pod is, you know what I love about Croatian fans? The water polo caps. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, I think, objectively... Just a bad look on anybody. Unless you're standing in a pool and you're a chiseled rock of water polo athleticism, it's just a dumb look. Like You look like you've had to go to a classroom that the regular students are not allowed in because you're just a little bit violent and uh, <laughs> you're a little bit spontaneous. We're going to put a water polo cap on you. They wear it willfully, which I think is a sign of yeah. a great sense of uh, self-humor and a great sense of self generally. Now, yes, it is also very meaningful to Croatia because... Uh, their water polo team is one of the best in the world and won a gold medal at the Olympics, which helped them, you know, identify as a true nation. I get that. I get it. But it's like objectively silly. And I enjoy when people bring silliness into a serious occasion. I mean, analyzing hatwear is about as third place playoff a kind of analysis as I think I've ever heard. Carry on. So then, though, Croatia scores a wonderful headed assist by Perisic, by the way, like a Almost a no look. Like he just brought his head all the way around to, to uh, send it into the box to Gvardiol, who scores. And Gvardiol is the one who just got the soccer version of posterized by Messi in the semi. So I was pleased for Gvardiol to have a modicum of redemption there. You know, he, he's on the list of players who have what's what's the enhance their reputation. Yes, I was going to say, um, uh, what's the word for like when you're not just multiplying a number, but you're like you put a little number next to the number. Starts with an E though. It's like an E X. Uh, what's the word? Exponential. Exponential. Thank you. Thank you. Um, he's exponentiated. <laughs> not a word, but is at least closer. <laughs> His value, and it had taken a little bit of a bump when uh, Messi made him look real bad, and uh, so I was happy for him to have that little bit of, of reputation restored. <laughs> Love it. I'm not coming in. I want you to carry on. This is my favorite five minutes of the pod so far. And what's then your... two minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, yeah. Rebecca. I made a vow. I made a mm -hmm. vow to our audience. I think on our very first episode that there would be at least one episode of this pod where I would be absolutely shit-faced. And it didn't happen for a Holland game or a US game because I ended up being too much of a professional. But now, today, the third place game was our last chance, and I fulfill my promises. If there is ever a day for you to fulfill the promise, it is on third place playoff day. It really is. I, I salute you. I welcome you in. I admire you. And I tell you what, I'm bloody enjoying every second Ooh. of it. So please continue with your match report of the third place playoff. Uh, yeah, so according to my match report, I have here ninth minute equalizer already. Third place game. <laughs> and then I have the name of the bar I was at. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> my my full respect to whichever incredibly talented Moraga player who scored that goal. But sadly, it will be even even further diminished in history. <laughs> okay, so that's one one. Then what? Yeah, yeah. Forty uh, second minute. Okay, now hold on. The forty second minute goal by Orsic. Oh, beautiful goal. Beautiful. A lovely goal. Bono got a piece of it, yeah. but even if he hadn't, it would have gone in. A real glorious arcing chip. And Orsic, another guy who has had his reputation exponentialized, as the saying goes, in football parlance. <laughs> <laughs> On third place playoff day. <laughs> but the whole tournament. Today was his first goal, but he's played very well yeah. throughout. Blah, blah, blah. 74th minute, Croatian penalty shout. But oh, that was a penalty, by the way. That was a penalty. Thank you for saying that. I couldn't quite tell because I couldn't hear Dr. Joe in the pub. And so, like, you know, we've been planning this for a while. Like, I'm in Chicago. I'm seeing the family for the holidays. My cousin works at a soccer bar. So, like, we're going to that soccer bar. But it's a crowded soccer bar. And as you know, well, no. Mm. Like, you got to get there hours in advance. Yeah. And this is one of those bars that is on an honor system. And I respect this. They're so, like, you cannot reserve a table. You cannot reserve oh. a table. And I'm like, mm. okay, great, great, great. So we got there, me and my uh, my father-in-law. We're not married, so he's like a de facto father-in-law. But sure, uh, we got sure. there an hour and 15 minutes before kickoff, even though it was only the third place game, even though it was only Croatia, Morocco, in terms of, you know, not the biggest heavyweights, but like we felt like we had a duty to do it. We were the only people there. I thought you were going to say we got there down a quarter and we should have been there two hours before. No. So you were, it was empty, was it? It was empty. Lovely. Except apparently there were people in the back watching the Celtic-Aberdeen game. Oh, yeah, fair point. Better. That could have been better. We weren't aware of them at first. So that was an extra hour of drinking, though. It was just between mm. me and my father-in-law, which, of course, is the most comfortable relationship <laughs> in human relations. Um <laughs> But by the time we got to the Croatian penalty oh shout uh, in the 74th minute, I couldn't hear a goddamn thing. And it sure looked like a penalty to me. And then they're talking to Dr. Joe. I hear Dr. Joe's voice, that reassuring voice that I hear in my sleep sometimes. I hear Dr. Joe telling me, like, Brendan, what you're doing now is sleeping. What you're doing now is sleeping. We're looking at it on the camera, and it looks like sleeping to me, and I hope they're <laughs> going to call it sleeping in your bedroom. It was a penalty shout, for sure? Oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, it was such a terrible shout not to overturn the initial decision. You know, the clear and obvious thing is what people sometimes forget. It's not whether or not it was a penalty. It was. But it's not whether or not it was a penalty. It's whether or not the decision of the on-field referee was a clear and obvious error. This literally couldn't have been clearer or more obvious. It was a, a shocking decision, which obviously no one cares. Third place playoff. But still, it was a penalty. <laughs> I mean, VAR, seriously, what's the point of them? If you can't see that, what are you doing? Anyway, separate yeah. conversations. Far too serious. Carry on. Back to you. And then apparently the game ended. Uh, that's, that's all, <laughs> that's all, you that's all I have here in my, in my notes. Good. Good. Um, well, I think anyone who hasn't seen the game but has listened to this is now just, you know, clued up as yeah. to everything that went on in that game, yeah. in your relationship with your de facto father-in-law in that pub in Chicago. Yeah. Brendan, thank you. This, this pod has started perfectly. <laughs> Now, Brendan, we have been asking our listeners over the past few days to send us in some questions about football, which we'll then try and attempt to give an answer to. And we've had loads. So the good people on the production crew have narrowed it down to a handful. And we're going to hear question number one coming into us from Cape Cod, I think I'm right in saying, and from a man called Steve Stein. This is Steve from Cape Cod with a question for you both. What happens when these guys go back to their main gigs and become teammates with recent opponents and become opponents of recent teammates? And for Rebecca and uh, all England fans, a sentiment from Nick Hornby and Ben Folds. You know what hope is? Hope is a bastard. Hope is a liar. 
Okay. Wow, bravo. Bravo, bravo for the production element of the phone call or the voice memo there to have both a question and a musical insert. Is he dangling his phone from a string at that point or is the whole thing kind <laughs> of a microphone that goes into some kind of interface into the interwebs into our <laughs> All right. Less on the dangling, more on answering the question. Fair play. So what happens, Brendan, when these chaps go back to their main gigs, become teammates with recent opponents and become opponents of recent teammates? Well, I think the real like fault line for this will be a Chelsea football club where Mateo Kovacic and Hakim Ziyech will have to face each other in training, even though they've just been on opposite sides of the World Cup third place game. <laughs> World Cup third place game makes enemies of friends and friends of enemies. So they probably can't even face each other. They're going to have to be separated, not just not just on the training pitch, but like at lunch. <laughs> Their passions will run so deep, having been so inflamed by the glory of the third place game that they may never say each other's name again. In fact, let's assume one of them is going to get transferred in January. It's, it's over. It's done. I think it's one of those things where on the whole, it's fine. I think on the whole, players find it very easy to move on because most players will have had a, a fairly mundane, middle-of-the-road World Cup, right? Some may have not got on the field. Some have. Some have done okay. And, and that's it. It'll be the ones, I think, like the Hugo Lloris-Harry Kane relationship, which will linger a little longer. But I don't foresee it being something that gets sort of carried on in any way other than a few mentions over the first, maybe second weekend of Premier League action. After that... World Cups get very quickly forgotten until the next yeah. one comes around. So I don't think that's too much of a problem. On the whole, they're pretty professional. It's pretty easy to go back to whatever colour you're wearing, yeah. you are behind and it's okay. I would say there's just two things about that, I think, Rebecca. One is uh, compartmentalization must be a skill all these players have for all the times they have to transfer. Yep. Because they don't just do it at a World Cup, of course. You know, They could be playing as teammates on a Saturday and they're playing against each other in a you know European Championship qualifier on yeah. Thursday. So like they are well-practiced in this. And in terms of like the banter on the training pitch, I would assume that a noble Frenchman like Hugo Lloris would be above the fray and wouldn't want to, you know, upset his captain, as opposed to, uh, say, Thomas Muller, who after Germany beat Brazil 7-1 in Brazil in the semifinal <laughs> and went back to uh, Bayern Munich training camp a month later, and there was one uh, Brazilian player on Bayern Munich at the time, that being Dante, or as Derek Gray would call him, Donch. And um, <laughs> Thomas Muller apparently would not let up on Donch about the 7-1 the beatdown. And it got to the point where Donch had to finally take him aside and essentially say, motherfucker, you have to shut the fuck up or I'm going to fucking murder you. But he said it like with a Portuguese accident. So it sounded like he was, you know, a drunk Russian and it was just more elegant in general. By the way, that's my theory, by the way. Portuguese sounds like drunk Russian. I don't right. know if you've ever, ever seen that. Anyway, so yeah, mostly compartmentalization, unless you got beaten by a German, in which case all bets are off. You're getting your nose rubbed in the shit. <laughs> Love it. Okay, shall we move on? Who's got our next question? Hi, Brendan and Rebecca. My name is Debbie. I live in New York City. I've been thoroughly enjoying the World Cup. My parents are from Spain, so I was going for Spain, but they got their asses kicked by Morocco. So I want to start following a Premier League team and the Premier League in general, and I don't know where to start. How do I pick a Premier League team? So obviously with her parents coming from Spain, I had a look at the World Cup Spain squad and obviously didn't have a great World Cup. So I was thinking she could maybe hang her hat on one of the Premier League players, but there are only five of them. None. I mean, David, David Raya at Brentford maybe, but... The whole squad, it's not sexy enough for me for her to hang her hat and get a Premier League club off the back of Spain's performance. Morocco are the ones that, in her word, kicked their 
asses, asses, as we would say. And so I thought maybe Morocco, she could do that as her kind of way in because there is a link there and that her parents' country was knocked out by this upstart Morocco, Hakim Ziyech, uh, who plays for Chelsea, uh, but he doesn't play very much for Chelsea. So I think that's a possible option to go with maybe Chelsea based on Hakim Ziyech and that link that you have now, even though it was a negative link, it's still a link. The other option I always say is you must have somewhere in your background history with an area of England, whether it's a family member, whether it's someone who's travelled there. That's all you need. Something tenuous, something tiny. Maybe, you know, you bought some shortbread from, you know, Southampton once. I don't know. Something like that. It's all you Sure. Did you enjoy the movie Titanic where they set sail from Southampton (laughs) or the ship was built in Southampton? There you go. One of the two. Yeah, set sail from Southampton. Yeah. So there you go. If you like Titanic, you like Leo DiCaprio, as I call him, then leave your love with Southampton. Okay, so there you go. That's how you do it. The little link Leo like that. Leo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> um, okay, next. I, I, oh, oh, no. what? I didn't oh, even sorry. get to chime in, Rebecca. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Debbie, I think there's a phrase. They say you can't choose your club. Your club chooses you. Ooh. And as Rebecca says, sometimes the first connection, the seed, can be rather tenuous. So I would say... You know, just start watching those um, those Premier League games on uh, Saturdays and Sundays. But you may just find yourself drawn to something, like a certain player or like, you know, some cool kits. If you're American, there's quite the American presence at a few clubs, especially yeah. Leeds, it has to be said. Yeah. And if not, then just support Palace. Okay, let's go for the next question. Our next one is from Ricky Figueroa. Hola, Rebecca and Brendan. My name is Ricky Figueroa. Uh, first of all, congratulations on an amazing and fantastic podcast. And my question is... Is there a rule of football that you would like to see revised or changed for the next World Cup that would, of course, benefit players and spectators? Thank you, guys. Okay, what's your answer? Is there a rule that you'd like to change? I wonder if it's the same as my rule. The one that comes to mind is one that the great Marco van Basten, the great Dutch striker who reflects the the Dutch tendency to have like deep thoughts about the game, as recently as like 2010, I think he came out in an interview and said, you know what they need to get rid of? Offside. Now he's a striker. He's he would think that. And to say get rid of offside wow. is a huge, no, huge, You're not fundamentally that, game. Though, hold on, hold on. <laughs> fundamentally game changing idea, and it just it just makes you wonder. Like, okay, hold on. Is offside outdated? Is is the way these athletes are such fine tuned machines now something that makes offside not quite worth it? So I would not say please come to the next World Cup without offside, but like. Can we have a major tournament between now and then, even if it's like an under 21 or something where there's no offside and just see how it goes? Wow. That that tends to be, you know, where we try these things out. I would like to see that tried out. Let's not assume that offside is the way to go. Okay. I see a lot of these tournaments every Saturday morning with my six-year-old, and this is how it looks. Teddy <laughs> is literally on the goal line waiting for the ball to be passed to him to just tap it home from six mm-hmm. centimetres out. He is the goal poacher extraordinaire because they don't have offside. It's singular, not plural. F-Y-I. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to see that too. It would just be a whole bunch of strikers just hanging up in the six-yard box. But it could be hilarious. So, But in the modern game, no, you'd be penalized for that. It's like playing two men down. There would still be a bit of a chess match involved. And thank you for letting us know what it's like among six-year-olds. I don't think that's quite the fair comparison (laughs) to how it might be um, in the professional game. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I, okay, well, I mean, I'm willing to witness it for sure. I like the idea. Let's try it out. I'm quite try it out. traditional, so I'm 
pushing back, but I'm also slightly trying to be open-minded. So yeah, let's have a little look at that. My two would be, I'd have two quite specific. One is the taking the shirt off thing. We mentioned it earlier on in the the season. And that can be, by the way, this doesn't have to be just World Cup, Ricky Figueroa. This can be around the world, every tournament, every league that has the silly rule that if you score a goal and you take your shirt off, you get a yellow card. Because as we saw in the World Cup, the bloke took his shirt off, having got a yellow, got another yellow, got sent off after scoring a goal. So ridiculous. My other rule change, right? And I'm willing to be shouted down on this, and maybe it's a good reason why this isn't allowed, right? Ooh, standing by. You know when a corner comes in and it, it goes out of play because they've bent it so much? It doesn't happen very often, right? Mm-hmm. But you know when you take that corner, it's not the outswinging, it's the inswinging, right? Inswinger, yeah, yeah. Right, and if it goes out of play, the linesman puts his flag up because it's gone out of play in the air. I think we should be allowing the ball to go out of play as long as it comes back in again, right? Not yep. just at corners, yep. but even if it's a ball down the line, because the skill of bent, you can bend a ball to score a goal, but you should be able to bend a ball from, say, the right back to the right winger, and it goes out of play and comes back in. And as long as it comes back in when he touches the ball, it should be fine. I think that could make some amazing corners. Don't you? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. We need to write to FIFA. I think I think yours are much more cut and dried, clear winners than mine. I fully concede. But also, you know, let's germinate. Germinate a little bit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's go to our next question. Hey, guys. This is Mary from Kansas City. Love the pod. My question stems from commentary that my husband offered plenty during the group stage. He kept talking about all the kits and which ones were terrible and which ones he loved. And I'm curious to know which ones have been your favorite. And if you could pick two finalists to play based on kits alone, who would it be? Can I say one that I do think men are a little bit more interested in kits than women, which is funny, isn't it? Because on the whole, not always, but on the whole, fashion and clothes tend to be more of a female area. But I think with this particular thing, like I have literally never said the phrase, oh, it's a great kit, that. I've literally never said that <laughs> phrase. But I know so many men who have, including wow. you. I got to say, it's a shame because like you carried that phrase with great dexterity. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great kit, that, Rebecca Lowe. <laughs> Go on. I don't know. The whole the kit thing is like both overstated and and a great like pre-tournament warm-up topic. Traditionally, people get really really upset about kits that like haven't even been worn yet. And I th- I feel like people judge kits really harshly before they've even seen them on the pitch. And I think you do have to see them on the pitch to really really <laughs> truly judge them. Like before this tournament, people were furious about the Puma kits, which were very oh, like why? Who cares? Well, because they were they were admittedly for the most part, garbage. Like, they had these little, like, frames where the number would go, and, like, they looked dumb. They looked dumb, but they looked better on the pitch than they did beforehand. The U.S. home kit was pilloried. Pilloried by the U.S. soccer community. (laughs) And, uh, indeed, was not great, but it didn't look as bad on the pitch as it did beforehand. But then sometimes you get, like, some, I think, objectively beautiful kits. And this would be my pick for the absolute best kit of the World Cup, which was Mexico's away kit, which is this sort of, like, cream-colored... Aztec design thing, the like you know, with this great like print on it. But the problem is they never got to wear it. Mm. They didn't have a single game where they were either not the home team or have enough of a color clash where they didn't get to wear their traditional L tree. <laughs> so they went home. Adidas having invested all of this research money, all of this market testing into this kit that never, ever was seen on the international stage. So my my winner is Mexico. 
But you you don't care about kids, apparently, so maybe we don't get a second one. No, I mean, I had a quick look. When I saw this question, I thought, I should have a little quick look, just what stands out. And I'm just traditional. So for me, the, the final that I would want if it was a kit final, and this is just amazing, in a world of kit finals, <laughs> I would go with just Brazil-Argentina because Brazil's yellow is... But it's less about the colour and the style and the makeup and the print, as you would say, and more about the image of what those colours hold for me, which is heritage, tradition and history. So the yellow of Brazil is just the yellow of my childhood and watching the old footage from back in the day mm. and that uh-oh it was a different yellow yep they went with a different shade this year the worst shade oh did they sorry I, i'm just not sure i noticed that shade of yellow change and then the other thing was the um <laughs> the other um kit is the argentina one uh, was that a different shade of blue i don't know no but okay good nor was it a different shade of white they really crushed white this year Blue and white of Argentina, traditional against the Brazil. But really, really, Mary, tell your husband, I'm not sure I could hold a conversation about this for more than a couple of seconds. Uh, by the way, uh, dark horse in this. I really love the uh, the England red kit with the blue trim. Yeah, that is a nice, oh my God, that is a nice kit. I can't believe I'm saying that. It's really, really nice, yeah. Yeah, that feels weird. Okay, let's get on to the next question. Charles Mika. Hi, Brendan and Rebecca. This is Charles from Atlanta, Georgia. I love the show. Thanks so much for doing it. It's been a great addition to a very entertaining World Cup. My question is, who do you think is the uh, U.S. men's team player that has raised their value up the most? For me, I think maybe Pulisic. Um, I know he's already highly valued, but I think that he's shown he can play at a level higher than what he's gotten at Chelsea. Um, So curious your thoughts. Well, your Team USA, you go first. It's a great question because like... You know, we're in this unfamiliar position this year of uh, most of our American players being quite prominent. You know, Pulisic, I think, is disqualified by the fact that he already had such a huge price tag on him when he transferred to Chelsea. Like, you can't get much more valuable than that. I was going to say, is he worth more than that? I don't think he's worth more than that. What the Chelsea paid for him, I don't think he is. No, because I think it, the way they've, you know, used him over there, I think his value had gone down. And, like, now it just might have gotten back to what it what it was. Yeah. Tyler Adams would have to be way up there, but people have been singing his praises all season. So I don't know how much of a surprise he would have been. Like, how, how many people who know football, and thus are people who would be buying players, hadn't known about Tyler Adams already? He would seem to be the most obvious choice, but I just think his value is probably already pretty high. So I think, I think you, have to, you have three to draw from. It's either Adams... Or Yunus Musa, who's at Valencia and already, again, very prominent, but still 19. Maybe people haven't quite clocked him yet. Or uh, Matt Turner. And yes, he's at Arsenal, but he's, you know, he's their cup goalkeeper, most times anyway. And uh, I think he really, you know, uh, gosh, what's the phrase? Exponentialed. He, <laughs> he showed himself off quite well. He, he enhanced his reputation. So I think it's between Musa and Adams and Turner. All right. Don't disagree with, with Turner. Pulisic, for me... Actually, I don't think it's worth what Chelsea paid for him. I think you're right. His value went way down. I don't think he did enough at the World Cup to take him back up to around 75 million, which is roughly 70, 75 what Chelsea paid for him. If he was on the market now, he would not be bought for 70 million. Absolutely no way. I think he'd be bought for 50. So I don't think he has, he has done enough, unfortunately for me. He did really well, but he was only probably going to go for about 30, 35 before the World Cup. I think, just personally talking money. Tyler Adams, for me, I think is the one. Of course, everyone knew about him, but in terms of how high their value has gone up, who has raised their value up the most, which is Charles's question, it has to be Tyler Adams. I think he plays brilliantly for Leeds and has done since he arrived. Before that, no one in the UK particularly knew much about him. He comes, he's been playing really, really well, so he has a decent value. He goes to the World Cup and does what he does, on and off the field, actually, because people are always looking for leaders. And for me, his value would have gone through the roof through the roof and Leeds know it. So for me, Tyler Adams. Based on your assessment of Christian Pulisic, I would really love it if you could someday 
go to garage sale with me where I like really need some stuff <laughs> so that you can, so that you could say armoire how much oh you bought it for five don't care don't care how much you bought it for that's a three hundred dollar armoire right there and then we'll get it for three ten <laughs> love an armoire me bon nuit armoire <laughs> thank you Charles all right next hi this is Lindsay I'm a huge fan of the show. Rebecca, am I a bad person for thinking that the Premier League is three times better than the World Cup? I love the World Cup, but I'm struggling with the conservative styles that have succeeded so far in this tournament. Lindsay, I love this question. And I love that she recorded it apparently from inside a very small bathroom. Um, she's not a bad person. Lindsay's a great person, number one. Great person. But, great person. But also not a bad person for thinking that the Premier League's three times better than the World not Cup. Not at all. It, it is. It just is. And it's okay to think that. I mean, if you look at the World Cup squads, were you to take every squad and put which club they play for next to them? You know, just take the Wales squad. For one example, yes, they went out in the group stage, not one of the better teams, but they had a smattering of third division players from England. So it's not going to be at the level of Man- you know, Manchester City take on any of those teams at the World Cup virtually, I would say they would beat them all. They'd have a good game against uh, Argentina. They'd have a good game against France. They would beat everybody else. So it's not a surprise when you go to a major tournament that the standard of football is reduced and is more conservative because there are so many more weaker teams that they have to play slightly more conservatively in order to try and stay in the game. You're not a bad person, but the World Cup brings so many other things to it that you're okay to have six weeks of slightly less than elite level football because you know you're going to go back to the Premier League. But yeah, not a bad person. That's just the explanation. Brendan? Yeah, I love this question. I remember reading a quote from the great Scottish manager of Manchester United, Sir Alex Ferguson, who said somewhere in the early 2000s, and he might have been stating the obvious, or as Rebecca would say, the bleeding obvious, but (laughs) I had never heard this before, that the best football in the world, full stop, is played in the Champions League, and uh, it is not in the World Cup. And I was like, wait, what? And it makes perfect sense. And the Premier League may have surpassed the Champions League actually since then. But if you think about it, it's not only, as Rebecca says, they have the best players just comparing the the squads, but also it's that they are together for 10 months out of the year, training every single day, getting to a point of precision and exactitude and familiarity that you can never, ever get by being in a World Cup. I mean, especially the World Cup where you get approximately three days together before it starts, but even in a summer World Cup where you get a whole month. So for the best football... Turn to, in my opinion, the Champions League or perhaps the Premier League. But for the biggest event, nothing tops the World Cup. Nothing at all. 100% agree. I don't think the Champions League is at the level of the Premier League until it gets to the last 16 to the quarterfinals. I don't think the group stages of the Champions League is the best football. Yeah, but I don't so much mean the group stage. I mean the best bits. Yeah, that's that's fair. The knockout stages, 100% elite, best of the best. Agree, agree. Yeah, I'm not I'm not referring to Basel versus Quarabog. <laughs> Bless these both... Fine, fine clubs. But that's not what I'm talking about. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that was lovely. Listeners' questions. That was lovely. Thank you, everyone, for sending in. Ladies and gentlemen, we now bring you to what we in the podcast business call segment three. (laughs) And today, segment three is a quick little preview, a little rundown of the biggest sporting event of every four years, the World Cup Final. It is tomorrow. It is France and Mbappe versus Argentina and Messi. It is, as Mr. Keith Jackson would say, if he had ever watched a soccer game in his life, the granddaddy of them all. 
a humdinger of a barn burner of a hootenanny. And we have it before us, and I'm terribly excited. And Rebecca, we come into it, though, with a, with a mild bit of controversy that I don't quite understand that I think maybe you do, which is there is a Karim Benzema kerfuffle? Well, a kerfuffle's probably maybe even exaggerating it slightly. So Benzema obviously injured, couldn't make the Ballon d'Or winner. Benzema couldn't make the France squad. But when he pulled out because of his injury, Didier Deschamps didn't replace him. So there was a space that's always open. Now, if that happens and the player then recovers, he is actually allowed to fly out and be part of the World Cup squad. Now, a reporter after the game, after the semi-final, had, I guess, heard that he was recovered or nearly recovered and put it to Deschamps. What is this report about Benzema coming back out? Are you interested in having him to play some small part in the final? And Deschamps replied... But the translation of his reply, according to reports, was wrong. The translation of his reply was, I don't really want to answer that question right now. And then everybody was like, oh, my goodness, Benzema's coming back. This is a, he doesn't want to answer the question because he's coming back and he can't really, what's he going to tell Giroud? And he's going to, all this kind of stuff. Well, actually, I heard on the radio Julien Laurent, who is a French uh, football journalist, say that the translation was basically, I'm not answering that question because it's a stupid question. So the <laughs> kerfuffle is actually just a kerfuffle. It's not even a full kerfuffle. There is no kerfuffle. There is no Benzema. I wish I'd been there for that conversation. What, what did he say? What did he say? Uh, he said, uh, I do not want to answer that question right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> he said more like, I do not want to answer that question right now. That is what they said. No, no, no. But you said, uh, I do not want to answer that question right now. But it really was more like, I do not want to answer that question right now. <laughs> Hashtag um. analysis. This is what we bring you. Okay, good. Nothing there. Great. I was worried that there was something there, but there's not. Folks, we're going to witness Mbappe versus Messi. And of course, it's a team sport. They both are on quality, quality sides. But nonetheless, they are the highlighters, the headliners. We've already been seeing the artwork that Rebecca promised of seeing their two heads or bodies around various uh, totems, usually the World Cup trophy, sometimes a tall Qatari building. And But it's, it is, it is a big fucking deal. And I was trying to think about it in, in the analogy of American sports because I've heard it referred to as like, oh, it's like if Jordan had played his last championship against LeBron. I was like, oh, at first blush, I was like, oh, that's a bit easy. But then I thought about it further and I thought about it through baseball and I thought about it through American football and then through, even through hockey and then <laughs> basketball again. I was like, well, shit, no, that's the answer. <laughs> it's fucking, it really is Jordan versus LeBron. It is, it's fucking massive. And if that happened, Brendan, when Jordan was almost at the end and LeBron was just coming on, who would have won because of that player? So basically, I'm asking you, who's going to win Well, based on that player? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, it, the, the analogy fails when you get to the team part because Jordan would have been on the Mighty Bulls and, uh, and LeBron would have been on the fledgling Cleveland Cavaliers at the time. So I don't know. As, as to who, who was the better player then, I think Jordan would have been a better player than a young LeBron. But then again, this is not young LeBron. I mean, maybe this is Miami Heat LeBron. And I know we're getting even deeper into NBA yeah. stuff, which is just not anything you want to talk about. Probably not. Or that most of our podcast listeners want to talk about. But <laughs> okay. But here we are. Let's let them decide. <laughs> Suffice to say, though, for this matchup, I think unequivocally France is the deeper team, even with the injuries that they've had. But... But the fucking grit factor on Argentina is through the roof. And I said it on this podcast, and then Leo Messi said it too, so it must be true. Losing their first match uh, to Saudi Arabia was a bit of a boon for them because it you know, immediately set them into, as they say in The Godfather, they had to go to the mattresses right away. And they've been grinding their way up ever since and potentially peaking at the right time. Yep. I'm going to go with, I would like Argentina to win it. I think France will. I just think they're just... 
little bit annoying. So I think France will win this and I really hope they don't. I really hope Messi does it. But that's what I think will happen. I, I think Messi will win too. Um, no, no, I said I think France will win. <laughs> I listen to every word you say. Uh, I've been saying Messi from the beginning. I'm going to stick with Messi. But in terms of France, can we just say real quick, this has not been mentioned enough because it's been a real slow burn. It's been happening since 1998. But France are on a fucking historical run yeah. at the World Cup. Before 1998, they had never made a final. They made a couple of semis. But now they've made four of the last seven finals. They've won two of them. They're going to try to win their third tomorrow. That's absolutely massive. I was I was going through Wikipedia, which is a very handy tool for these things. Like, um... West Germany made four out of five from 74 to 90. They won two. Brazil made four out of six uh, from 50 to 70. They won three. Four out of seven, potentially winning three, is fucking bonkers. Yeah, and annoying. (laughs) Told you, annoying. Let's just end there, shall we? Let's just end there. We have one episode left to go. If you haven't already, just do it. Just do it for the one episode. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to get alerts to any upcoming content in this feed. And be sure be sure to rate and review us. It really helps other people find that last show. And if you're in the US, follow along in the Apple News app in MySports for special live coverage of tomorrow's World Cup final match. Plus, a quick shout out to the great podcast produced by Apple News. If you want to get all the day's news in under 10 minutes, then check out Apple News today. And for more in-depth interviews with the world's best journalists and thought leaders, search for Apple News in Conversation in the podcast app. That's Apple News in Conversation. We'll be back for the last time with more World Cup coverage right here in your pod feed Sunday with our final episode and recap at the end of the World Cup (gasps) tournament. Oh, it's over already. I was just getting warmed up.